Welcome to Grab Life Big. Grab Life Big. The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us say, badass rich guys who do epic shit. And now, your host, that's Hybin. If this is empty, this doesn't matter. Bet you were home. I'm always home. I'm on tour. Me too. You're doing great, dude. The only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're on cool. This is my advice to you. And I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. Wrong Tribe Confounds, The Right Tribe Compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. What's up, GoBundance community? My name is Jamie Gruber, guest hosting for Pat Hyben on the GoBundance podcast. And today is a special episode, in my opinion. We're bringing in one of our elders, one of our founders, a guy that all of you know, best-selling author, multi-million dollar real estate investor, all-around great guy, founder of GoBundance, like I mentioned, David Osborne. Welcome, David, to the show. Hey, it's so good to be with you, Jamie. I'm happy to be here with you today. Absolutely. Well, let's dive in. We've heard your story in the GoBundance community. We know generally what your, your story is. You've had incredible success. You're known as, you know, an old podcast call you the $50 million guy, but you're, you know, in excess of $100 million in net worth. You've got the private jet. You've got the big life, all of that stuff. You've had amazing, extraordinary success, which we all aspire to and are inspired by. But tell me, where along the way did you realize that maybe you were a little bit different? Where, where do you feel like you... Was it an entrepreneurial spirit that you had at some point in your childhood or was it in your 20s you realized, man, I just do things a little bit more or differently than other people? Like, What was the point for you that you, that you realized, I could do so much more, I have this capability and I'm doing things differently? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I always felt like an odd kid and I guess some of the other GoBros could probably relate to that, but I didn't feel normal. But again, I don't think anyone really feels normal. Like, what is normal? Like... You know, I moved 10 times by the time I was 14. I think that had a lot to do with it. You're never really settling in. You don't get to see yourself reflected in the eyes of your friends because you're too busy changing schools and changing friends. I was raised in Germany and then England, which is, you know, two different countries. Then I got back to America when I was 14 years old. I think... You know, from a young age, I had a rich uncle who was a mentor of mine. My mom was the poor leg of a wealthy-ish family, not super wealthy, but we grew up middle of the middle class, basically living on a soldier's pay. Uh, mom and dad, neither one of them inherited any significant assets from anybody, so they lived on a soldier's pay. And um, that's not great, but it definitely takes care of all your needs. Usually they provided housing because dad was an officer. So kind of grew up in this middle of the middle class environment with a rich uncle or great uncle. And, you know, I, I always remember thinking like, 
you look like you live a better life than us because <laughs> he had two Jags and a farm and helpers and chickens and a swimming pool and a tennis court. And we got to use all that stuff. We lived in the gameskeeper's cottage on his, on his farm in England uh, when we were in England. And then we were on military housing when we were in Germany. And then my folks sent me to an English boarding school. But I didn't have athleticism to fall back on. So a lot of kids find, you know, normalcy through athleticism. My brother, funnily enough, was a good athlete, but my dad really only spent time with him developing those skills, not really with me, which is fine by me because my dad's way of helping you become an athlete was pretty intense, didn't look that much fun. Like many entrepreneurs, I had a pretty tough father. I've noticed a lot of entrepreneurs either didn't have a father or they had a tough situ- you know, relationship with their father, meaning he was very aggressive and very disciplined. But overall, when did I think I was different? I think always felt a little different. And for sure, when I sort of hit my teens, I started to think I'm cut a little different from other people. And I was a terrible student, bad at high school and didn't get great grades, but I was a great worker. So every job I had, I, I, was, I worked on the farm doing odd jobs and doing all kinds of different stuff. And um, I then got a job bagging groceries and I tried to be the fastest bagger in the store. I was competing with everyone, even though they didn't know I was competing. And then I started into construction and I worked my butt off in the sun and that was crazy. And then, and then I got into my own lawn mowing business and then I got into outside sales and I always hustled really hard at work, but I didn't like school that much. No, I kind of disappointed in myself looking back at that. I went to UT and graduated with a 2.2 But I also remember like a weird thing in high school where the coolest kid in high school in one of the high schools I went to because I went to a bunch. I remember he was my neighbor across the street and I was hanging out with him like you try to hang out with the cool kid that everyone likes. And he said to me this weird thing one time when I was like 15 years old. He goes, you know, David, worst case, I can always come to work for you one day. And I was thinking, why would you say that to me? I'm just like the dorky kid. You're the cool kid. But I think even early on, like I had this sense that I was going to be able to do fine money wise. And I felt like I was kind of on that path towards figuring out money. Interesting. What do you, so today your results are, are where they are. Right. And, uh, and you know, you can track back. We talk about like 1% every day or whatever the case may be. I think, you know, there's a, there's a, an attachment to this notion that somebody took extraordinary action and that word gets a lot of play, extraordinary action along the way. I don't know if you could, if you could even answer this, but I'm going to ask it. Can you, can you quantify to the, the extent to which your action was extraordinary as compared to maybe other people that today have a much, have, don't quite have the results you do? Does that make sense? Like, is it an hour a day? Is it five minutes a day? Is it one extra call? Like, what is extraordinary action do you think that maybe separates you and the results you have today as you track back to that 1% change or whatever it was? What is that back you know, then compared I to I honestly years? think that all entrepreneurs that have been successful have this in common. They worked as hard as they freaking felt they could work. And whether that's one hour more or three hours more, there's going to be a combination between the quality. I used to say to people, QP multiplied by FP equals R. And what that meant is because we were recruiting, the quality of your presentation multiplied by the uh, frequency of your presentation equals your results, right? So if you are a terrible recruiter and you want to recruit 10 people a month and you get one out of 10, you got to have 100 recruiting appointments that month to get to 10. If you're an excellent recruiter, you only need to have 10. So I think where I started off, I was a terrible at all, almost everything I ever did, just like everybody. I mean, children can't even walk, they can't talk, and they can't spell, So we all basically start off sucking at everything we try to do. 
And then you put time on task and time on task. And when I start off in sales, I remember working, you know, as hard as I possibly could. Now, some guy, I competed with Pat Hyman early on and he would work 16 hours. I'd work 14. I'd be depleted and he'd still be able to work 16. Some guys can outwork you. But the good thing about life is it's not just the frequency of your presentation. It also comes down to the quality of your presentation or your pitch or whatever it is you're doing. And I think... I think I worked as hard as I possibly could. I got shingles from stress. I kind of worked myself to death. But whether that was 80 hours a week and another guy could do 100, or I was doing 100 and another guy could do 120, or I did 70 and another guy could do 80, there are people, I'm sure, that could put in more hours than me. But I do believe you've got to try to put in 20 years in 10. And what I, what I believe, it, being an entrepreneur, is you got to work you know, two years in every single year. So to me, that works out to be about 70 or 80 hours, you know, 70 or 80 hours a week. So if you do that, you're going to get better. You're going to multiply your success. You're going to get a compounding effect of that. And you're going to get ahead of people. So I don't have a specific answer for you. I worked as hard as I freaking could. I was young. I didn't have, you know, kids in my house. I had, I found out I had a daughter later, but that's a whole much longer story. I wasn't married. I just worked all out and, this, and, and didn't take vacations until I was about to fall apart. And then I'd go take a vacation or do something different. I literally would burn out and then revitalize myself by going to a Tony Robbins or going to a, some kind of a motivational workshop. And I did that for, you know, 14 years or something. I like the QP times FP equals R. That's very interesting. I like that a lot. And on that last point, I wanted to just touch on this. At what point in your career and your development did you invest in personal development? And, and how is that tracked? What is that, whether it's seminars, things like GoBundance, Masterminds or whatever, like has that accelerated as you've grown? Has it, have you had to you know, sort of not invest that much time because your business is so much bigger? Can you just talk about the path of personal development and when you decide yeah, you to invest I mean, so to be clear, I didn't value education in high school very much at all. And then I got into work and I think, I'm trying to remember, I went to a Tony Robbins seminar, I think when I was about 19, I was in college, but I could have been 21. I'm not exactly sure. But anyway, and it was, you know, like, I was like, wow, this is amazing. You I mean, people actually teach you how to think and how to manage your thoughts and take the bad movies out, put the good movies in and all the stuff and crush the bad movies and all the crazy stuff. Tony's taught. I also had an old cassette tape series. Your, your younger people don't even know what cassette tapes are, but they're a little, you had to plug them in and you had to carry them with you everywhere you went. You just have an iPhone with everything. And it was on goal setting. And I remember listening to it over and over. But, but, but I also, before that, had been a student of life. So again, I was a weird kid. I was into Plato. I was kind of into reading the different religious texts of the world. I, and I played Dungeons and Dragons a lot, and maybe that all blended together. So I had this curiosity about life but not specifically as it related to making money. So hard worker, very curious about a lot of things in life. And then I think when I got into real estate sales at age 24, that's when it really began to click. That's when I realized that if I learned the right scripts or the right prospecting techniques or the right farming techniques or the right listing presentation skills, I get better results. That's where I began to work on my QP, right? So really stepping up. And I became, I became addicted to learning once I started opening my own franchises and I was on the hook for everything. And I realized like, there's no one, you know, like my mom and dad have a little bit of money at this time, but not much that we're still definitely not even millionaires. So I got mom and dad that backed me just a little bit, but I don't have enough backing. You know, it's basically me against the world with some partners and some other things. 
And that's when I became addicted to learning. And that's when I started spending a hundred grand a year on personal development easily. I mean, you know, back then I was going to and doing everything that came in my path. Today, I'm still very into it. I mean, if you look at all the mastermind groups and the education I do on a yearly basis, it, it might be a little bit less. You know, there's a lot of repetition in the self-help industry, but I bet I still spend, you know, somewhere between 50 and 75 grand a year on, on my personal education, which is about, I think, a semester at Harvard. So I'm, I mean, I've been going to educational Harvard for the last 25 years. I'm still getting, I still read 40 books a year. 35 to 40 books. I'm still listening to a podcast once a week, at least 50 times a year. I'm, I'm, I do courses. I do training. I, there's just, I'm just all in, dude. I, I know that there's two problems. One is you don't know it, and therefore you're not for successful. And the second thing is you forget it. So you already had it once, but then it slipped out of your brain. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I forgot about that part. And so, yeah, I'm a constant student of life massively. And I know everyone says that, and it's a cliche, and it's a cliche because it works. Makes sense. I, I, that makes a lot of sense. I love that. And you, you touched on something that I wanted, to, I wanted to just sort of get your thoughts on. I talked to somebody in Tahoe about this topic of, of uh, uh, pursuing the result versus pursuing the passion. Um, would you say over your career, over the time that you've, you've, you know, you've accelerated with success, were you pursuing the process or were you pursuing the end result? Always the process for me. I never thought like I want to be worth, I mean, it took me a long time to come up with this goal of being worth a hundred million. So that was a goal at some point, but early on I wanted to be wealthy. I would set big goals, but ultimately, you know, did I start with the end of mind? Yes, but I mostly just did what came in front of me. I never planned on having, you know, the numbers just came out. We're the eighth largest residential real estate company in the U S we sell 10 billion, 35,000. I never thought like that. I I never thought like I'm going to be a top 10 real estate company. I just thought, I'm going to win. I'm going to be successful. Here's the one office in front of me. What I need is 10 more agents to make this office profitable. And I would focus like a laser beam on finding those 10 agents. Then I'd launch another franchise. I'd be like, okay, before I launch, I need another 20 agents committed to join this company. So I'd focus like that. And I I remember putting the lists of names of people that I wanted to join on a whiteboard at the end of my bed. So the first thing I'd see when I woke up or sometimes in my bathroom where I brush my teeth or by the dining room, I moved it around depending on where I'd last done my brainstorming. But basically I would have those names up there that I needed to cross the threshold of break even. And then I would launch a franchise, get it to break even, launch a franchise, get it to break even, hire a manager, and then sort of move on because I was planting all these trees and I would hire the manager to run it. And at first I was terrible at hiring managers. I mean, I hired alcoholics, uh, one drug dealer, one person that was abusive to the agents, meaning he would yell at them and stuff, threaten them. And then I got better at it, like you do at everything. And so, you know, I got better and I learned how to hire better and I got better at recruiting. And, and over time, the FP, which at that time for me, I used to have 15 recruiting appointments a week, which would be 60 a month. Uh, that would be my FP. But over time, my QP got better. The quality of my presentation got better. And you can think of a presentation for anything like raising money, you know, selling stuff, pitching stuff, designing stuff, whatever. And it just got better and better. And then I, then I was able to ramp down that frequency and just really focus like a laser beam on getting the best people in business with me. But I can't say it was like this grand master plan that I had to be exactly where I'm at. So there's so many things that showed up that I just took advantage of. And that's why I believe if you're a great entrepreneur and you listen, there's like this silent whisper, this gentle whisper. It can't be silent because it have to be gentle. So a gentle whisper that kind of leads you in the correct path, like a golden line or something that if you walk that path, 
you'll get to your success. And it meanders a little bit. It's not a straight path. And that's what I've tried to do as well. I'm a highly intuitive person. And I've really tried to develop and pay attention to my intuition. You could call it the blink method, which is, you know, one of the Gladwell's great books. But it's this idea that bring in as much data as possible, bring in as many facts as possible, but they'll let, let the decision come more, more intuitively than super, super uh, computer process based, if that makes sense. So I followed that intuition and that with this kind of rough big picture, grinding away at process every day for each individual thing I have to do. And then following this sort of like, whisper that leads me in the right direction has led to my success. The wrong tribe confounds, the right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. Can you, very quickly on this, can you give me a sense, just for, for people listening and even for myself, when you say, and that makes sense to me, you, you set a North Star of some sort, you have a goal in mind, right? But you're not you know, obsessed with the goal, you're obsessed with the day-to-day -day process. And I think what I heard you say is, I don't have a specific path to that, that I'm going to say, it's going to be this and then this and then this. It's kind of what happens next. Okay, this is what I'll do. This makes sense. I enjoy this process. What does that goal look like? Is it big and broad is it i'm gonna this that you know i'm gonna have this and this and this in life or is it simply i'm gonna make a million dollars a year like what is the what is the big goal that north star that you set can you give me an example of what that looks like yeah i think i thought more probably in like five-year goals or three-year goals and i think my goal would be like to launch two franchises to have the five that i'm in make a, a million a year to have you know so I would, I would have more a series of goals. I, I didn't really focus on the income as much. I can't say that I ever said, I'm going to try, try to make a million bucks this year. It was much more like, I want to sell two franchises. I want to add 50 agents. I want to hire one new great manager. It was those kind of goals more than, than, than you know, money. I, I, I try not to focus on things I can't control. And I felt like I could control recruiting and I could control hiring, but I don't think I, I didn't feel like I could control, you know, the, the amount of money I made. So I would, and then I would do a net worth figure. So I remember a long time ago, I had a goal, you know, of a hundred million net worth, half of it inside Keller Williams and half of it outside Keller Williams. Cause I was pretty big into Keller Williams at that point. Um, I have income goals. So I'll, I'll sometimes hit, you know, I wouldn't say I'm going to try to make a million next year, but I will have like a long-term goal of, you know, 10 million a year was my goal, hundred million in net worth, 10 million a year in income. So I try to hit, I try to set these really huge distant goals, but then specifically in the day to day, I'm more focused on process. And as I'm communicating with you, I'm, I'm realizing I'm conflicting myself a little bit, I guess, long-term big goals, like 10 million a year in income, but short-term, I'm not trying to say I'm going to make 3 million in 2022, right? Does that make sense? I'm just trying to do more action-based outcomes. You know, I used to really just track my number of calls, try to make my 15 appointments a week or try to have my 100, you know, calls a, a week if I'm trying to, when I was trying to recruit a manager, I wanted to have 100 contacts to recruit that manager because I wanted to find the very best. And so those are the kind of things where I would be tracking and checking and checking and checking. And I think you can control those kind of actions way more than the, the outcome. Uh, so on an annual goal basis, specific actions, and then on a, on a, 10, to, on a 10 year basis, it'd be big, hairy goals. Makes sense. Your BHAG. I get it oh, completely. One last thing before we dive into the one sheet, I want to touch back on. You, you touched on two sort of traits of entrepreneurs that I thought were interesting. 
rigid father relationship with father, you know, people could take that however it applies to them and maybe didn't value school. I just had this conversation with my wife. My father similarly was very rigid, young dad, right? He was a young father and it was certain rules. Like you don't do anything unless you, <laughs> and school was just something that I always felt, you know, was something I had to just sort of muscle up and get through. So it's an interesting point that you make. Why do you think those two factors are part and parcel of the modern entrepreneur? Well, I think if you have a tough father, you want freedom from that. And the best way to freedom for many people is by making a boatload of money. And so for me, for sure, I almost joined the Marines. My dad was a Green Beret colonel. And I just remember the recruiter and I were talking. I was like, you know what? I've taken enough orders. I don't want to take any more orders from anybody ever again. Because my dad was very disciplined in how he wanted the rooms cleaned and clean the table and clear off this. And here's your chores and all this stuff. It's probably really good for me, honestly, but it was just so heavy handed that I felt a great need for freedom. And occasionally he'd lose his temper and he was a little, by terms, I was, you know, like, I'm done with that. I don't want to answer to anybody. I had a couple bosses at school. I was just not, I, I was going to do what I thought was the right thing to do. So yeah, I think that's, I think that was the key. All right, let's pivot to the one sheet, the baseball card of your life. And let's start in the horizontal income pillar. Let's talk about your horizontal income yearly and how many lines is that currently for you? Yeah, so I don't know is the answer to how many lines. Depends how you track it. But I would say I, I have likely, I have 100 single family homes. Pat Hyben always wants me to count that as 100 single family lines of income. I have them in seven LLCs, so I'm more likely to count it as seven, but I'm guessing I get somewhere around 50 checks a month. Let's put it that way. Okay. I got 50 lines of income. And current horizontal income annually, do you know what that is offhand? Yeah, it's probably around $7 million. Okay. Cool. And that's with a lot of tax strategies that reduce the overall basis. Makes sense. What's your horizontal to net worth ratio at this point? So your, your, uh, yeah, the yearly amount of horizontal income is a percentage of your net worth. Yeah, so that's probably gone down quite a bit. And right now it's probably 5%, 5 to 6%. Based on what I know of where you are and what your companies have done and where your net worth is, that makes sense to me. And I'm, I'm going to assume that you're more than a 100 percenter. I, I'm going to assume your lifestyle is not at $7 million. <laughs> no, I'm a 300. I have it at 350% approximately. Gotcha. Well, I live on about two, $2 million a year, I think. What do you, you know, what would you say are some of the things that you spend money on that are, are things that you never thought you would at one point in your life today? Well, I never really thought about having a private jet, so I never thought about that. I grew up not with anyone that had that, but I had a mentor early on that had one, and I rode around with him a few times. I was like, this is pretty cool. Not from the experience of flying, although that's nice, just the massive control you have over your time and your ability to go do what you want when you want. So when I bought the first plane, which is a King Air, I just could, I could work until eight or nine o'clock in Memphis and still be up with my kids for breakfast. That was amazing. Like I, I was opening a franchise in Memphis. The last flight was at five. So if I ever got trapped in good, you know, good work activity, I would have to spend the night in Memphis. And as soon as I had that King Air, I never spent another night there that I didn't want to ever again. I could just leave at eight, which was great. You know, I would say the amount of money I spent on vacations, I would have never conceived of that. I, I'm, I was asked one time by a guy, how much money do you, have you ever lost in a business? And I said, a million bucks. He goes, what's the most you've ever spent on a vacation? And I was like, wow, that's convicting. Way less, like 20 grand. He goes, well, maybe you should step that up. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should. What else is there? I never thought I'd have a 
private chef, which sometimes I have a private chef come cook healthy meals for us. Lots of little things come from, you know, from having wealth, but. Sure. sure. Interesting. What percentage of your net worth is in real estate versus say other things, private companies or. Probably 90%. If you count my franchises as real estate, 90%. If you don't count my franchises as real estate, probably. Oh, if you count my personal residences and my business investments, probably 50%. Okay. Makes sense. I'm heavy real estate. Heavy, heavy. Target a percentage of net worth for other assets, gold, crypto, anything like that. I used to be all real estate. I've only just started investing in other stuff. So it's 2013. I've got probably 20 million now in other assets that are non-real estate related and maybe a little bit more, but no, it's not really a percentage of my net worth. I'm, I'm trying to start to diversify now, but I still like private investments way more than the public sector. So I still tend to invest in private assets. Got it. Uh, let's switch over to age to buying health. What's your current weight and body fat percentage? 158. My body fat has gone up to 10.5 from 8. I was down to 8. Now I'm at 10.5. I weigh 158. I just had a um, guy come by and take my blood this morning, and I got uh, my resting heart rate was 50. So that was pretty cool. What uh, you, you mentioned your, your body fat percentage at, at 8%, 10%. What do you use to measure that? How do you measure your body fat? A DEXA scan. Got it. All right. So you're doing the official thing. You're not using the scales or anything like that. That's impressive. No, my scales say 18%. Those, I, but, but what I like the scales is there. I look for the trends in the scale. So sure. the trend is what matters. If I was 18 today and 19 tomorrow, I went up. And if I was 18 today and 17 tomorrow, I went down. But the scale is nowhere close. I don't even know how they justify selling those as body fat scales. Unless the DEXA scan is wrong. But I'm, I'm told the DEXA scan is more accurate. But I have, who knows? I've, I've heard the same. What about your daily diet? What does that look like? What's a, what's a day in the life for David eating? So I try to not eat anything until noon or 11 or 1, somewhere around there. Be finished eating by 7, you know, 6 to 8, something like that. So I'm pretty much in a 6 to 7 to 8 hour window compressed. It just it varies. But definitely 8 or less. I eat, I, I try to eat a lot more vegetables than meat, but I definitely eat meat. And I also try to eliminate sugar, low carb, and then low alcohol. I try to do alcohol only on the weekends. And try is put in here because I'm definitely not a, a Nazi with myself. I definitely give myself the opportunity. If a buddy comes over and his wife just cooked a cheesecake and he wants to open a bottle of wine, I'm going to do all of the above. I'm not going to be like, oh, I know you're just in from Alaska, but today is my non-eating day. So I don't do that. I'm trying to live life and flow, which means sometimes I fall off the wagon a little bit and then I got to climb back on. The reason my body fat went from 8 to 10.7, I just discovered was we had found a, a milk replacement called oat milk that we'd fallen in love with, Oatly. And then I just found out there's an article out there called Oatly is the new Coca-Cola and it's got 7% sugar and it's especially bad when you drink it on an empty stomach. So I was using it for a latte in the morning before I ate. And so I was getting that double, triple whack. So I'm pretty sure that's a big chunk of what just happened. The other part would have been my extended trip to Mexico because of snowpocalypse. Makes sense. sense. Oh, sugar is everywhere. And I'm sure that's why you liked it. That's why you thought you fell in love with it probably, right? Because it was- I'm sure. I'm sure. I hadn't had sugar in a long time. So- yeah, we're cutting that out, so that's a shame. I'll miss it, but we're, we're moving on from the oatly oat milk. Makes sense. When do you uh, bring in the private chef? Like, is there, a, is there a, a time or a, you know, when you're trying to get into a certain type of shape? Like, when do you make that decision? Well, before COVID, we had a private chef just prepare us like 10 meals for the week. So, five, you know, five for me and five for my wife and some for the kids. And that was, you know, going great. Then COVID hit and we stopped doing that. 
And then I just, because I've been moving back, I was actually communicating with a private chef today, but we do have a chef that cooks us a meal every Friday and have had through COVID. Another friend of mine who's a chef pivoted to in-home meals. And now I'm looking at rehiring one because I'm kind of worried about this, you know, trend in my body fat. It's all about managing the trends in health, just like in business. And so I talked to Rowena uh, today and I'm going to, well, we haven't got to the point of hiring yet. I'd like to hire somebody that makes a lot of delicious, low oil, low sugar, you know, low salt meals. So kind of like healthy, happy meals. And that's what I'm looking for right now. What about exercise? What does that look like for you? I know you're a, you're a Peloton guy, right? I'm a Pelotoner. I don't try to kill myself anymore. I uh, used to work out really hard to P90X. When I was 46 years old, I was ripped. And, um, and then I injured myself actually in Munich. I was talking with Matty Aitchison this morning about that. I think I was doing pull-ups while I'd had too much beer on scaffolding with him, trying to see who could do more. And it kind of did something in my back tour and it's never been quite the same. And I'm, I've had that multiple, that same message. So Peloton 45 minutes and lift weights twice a week, probably ride the Peloton three times a week is ideal. Do some yoga, meditate, and then play volleyball or walk the golf course or go for a hike or go skiing. Those are generally my workouts. I'm, I Occasionally, well, I'll work with a coach and do high in, intensity training, but I'm not really a huge fan of pushing myself to the point of injury anymore which I used to love to do because I could get over it so fast, but now it's harder to get over it. So I'm trying to, I'm just trying to be consistent over crushing it. If that makes sense. Who did more pull-ups? We both looked at each other after doing 10 and said, Hey, let's quit. So we'd quit, but we'd been drinking quite a bit. So it was, and it was the front pull-ups, not, the, not the easier ones, the harder ones. Cause the wide were, grip, I think they call it. Yeah, it was the wide yeah. grip. Look, spinning is great. I, I don't know if you're like me, if the if the instructors make you giggle and then you post what they say on Facebook and Instagram, it's a <laughs> hobby, of, hobby of mine. They're, they're hilarious. The That's, you know, I started off doing that, loved Alley Love, but now I actually do the 45-minute scenic ride so I can listen to a book on tape at the same time and knock off two of my goals. These or I'll guys. watch, I just watched uh, The Last Dance, that Michael Jordan biopic, which oh, was man. incredible. Um, so yeah, I've gotten a little bit more like selfish around that, or I'll be on a conference call that bores me that I don't have to speak much and I'll just do 45 minutes on the Peloton. So I do like the classes, but for whatever reason now I've like, why not do two things when I could be doing two things instead of one thing? Does that make sense? It does. And you just, you just tipped me off. I think you were on the Peloton on at least one call that we were on together. So I bored you. Understood. <laughs> Understood. You know what it is? I just, if I don't have to speak much and I'm mostly listening, I just get on the Peloton. Yeah, I'm just messing with you. I'm messing with you. But yeah, these four instructors have no idea what uh, they say innocent things and my 12-year-old brain takes them in a <laughs> That's funny. I'd love to see some of those. Absolutely. So, all right, let's talk a little bit about your relationship. You're, you're married, obviously, Tracy, kids. Tell us a little bit more about your family. How long have you been married? How old are your kids now? My kids are 11 four and 33 my 33 year old's just getting married she's beautiful wonderful kid she's a therapist and she's marrying her girlfriend who's a counselor they're both very sensitive sweet and kind and caring people my daughter bella is just about to be 12 she's amazing she's creative and very cool and very uh sensitive and friendly and warm my son is four and he's he's a terror man he's just he, he hits you when he's not. I'm after, I got a lot of work to do with that boy. He's got a lot of aggression in him and not nearly as uh, upbeat or, con, you know, but he's fun too. He's amazing. He loves monster trucks and superheroes. 
Yeah, I've got a three-year-old that sounds almost the same. My six-year-old is the sweeter one, and the three-year-old likes to swing. We call him Rocky, especially if he hasn't taken a nap. So, yeah. Well, how about your life happiness index on your your uh, your one sheet? Where is your life happiness index currently? Seven point four. What's high in there, and what's low? What are your highs, and what are your lows within the, within the index? Well, I'm very. Uh, I was very pleased with my my weight. I have a concierge doctor, and so I would go every quarter. And until I hit this 10.7, I was pretty happy when I got to eight. So there was like a 10. Now it's down to a six because I'm slightly concerned about this body fat change. But I think I've got it all figured out now. My uh, relationship's the one that I go in and out on. Like it's been as high as an eight, but right now it's a six. It's a lot of work to be married, as most married guys know. Maybe it's not for everybody, but it is for me. Uh, you know, contribution is down for me. I used to be giving away $300,000 a year and I'm giving away a lot less right now and I'm not really finding anything that's vibing me. I'm still giving away money, but not like I was. Uh, I'm down on uh, uh, hobbies because I my golf game's gone to crap. I'm not skiing because I didn't ski this year and my daughter and I were learning guitar, but now we've fallen off the wagon there. So there's those are, and then travel. I mean, we're not doing much travel, so that one's way down. Got it. Got it. On the relationship piece, what are some things you're doing to work on that or maybe you do consistently? Well, we're both working with a relationship coach, which is from Conscious Loving, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And we both read two books together and do a seminar together. And then we just try to have regular meetings where we had date nights and overnight date nights where we talk about things. Um, we just drift apart in life with how busy we are individually and how separate our lives are. My wife doesn't work with me. She's got her own thing. She just does her projects and the things she's passionate about. And uh, so that's really the, the, you know, the components of like, how do you reconnect all the time when you've been together for 20 years? It's a long time. Yeah. My wife and I, it's, it's great. I, I'm, thank you for opening up on that. My wife and I have done proactive sessions, right? So my wife and I've always had a pretty strong relationship. Of course, there's, there's warts here and there, but I always thought that you mentioned about you go to a doctor quarterly preventatively, right? You brush your teeth and go to the dentist preventatively, but we don't think about that in terms of our relationship. And just even in, when it, things are good, like it sounds like you are good or bad going and getting therapy or going and speaking to a coach or counselor. Right. They just, they peel back those layers before it builds up to be too big and creates friction in the relationship. And truthfully, I think it's something I want to do with my kids when they get a little older, because I know I step on them. I will, I'll, you know, dad said, that's it. You know, I want to hear, I want them to have space to, to articulate that. So I think that's, that's a really, really interesting point that you made that you do this consistently, this therapy or whatever, good times or bad. So my oldest daughter recommended we do this family therapy thing where we all four come in together in a room and you know, they do some kind of, you play a game and while they're playing, you, they have a conversation, which I think it's all about conversations and being as transparent as possible. And the more transparent you are, the more close you feel to your wife and your beloved. And, and the re when I get the distance to her is when I'm like kind of running my agenda and she's running hers and we're really not crossing much. And then I'll get resentful because I'm like trying to work and I feel like I'm not being catered to. And she'll get resentful because she feels like I'm not paying attention to the family because I'm working and you know, it's all understandable when you unwrap it, but when you're wrapped up in it, you're kind of tense and distant. You got to break that stuff down. Need that coach, need that person watching from the outside. So you mentioned uh, contribution is down a little bit. Uh, right now it was 300,000. Do you know what it is at this point for you? I mean, I give away six figures for sure, but I don't know exactly what it is. You know, I've, uh, what are some of your passion? What are some of the things you're passionate about giving to? At this what point? I love giving to is I pay for kids' education in Mexico. I'm on my third kid, although one kid dropped out of college. So I'm on my, like one graduated, I paid for her college, paying for her brother's college. And then I had a guy 
that kind of fell by the wayside. So just uh, that's really rewarding because I know I'm changing the destiny for that individual. And like, it's like the David Osborne scholarship. Uh, I was giving the water well, you know, charity water for a while and I've kind of backed off on that, but I should probably start that up again. And uh, yeah, I mean, just, I was given to Habitat for Humanity in Austin, but I've stopped that. I was given to Community First. I mean, I kind of made all these commitments and they also reached this, a life cycle end, like three-year commitments or five-year commitments. They happen to all end right during COVID. Yeah. Um, right now, I like to do random acts of kindness. Like I bought my, I bought uh, a person I know who's not very wealthy a car. That was super fun. I've done that twice now, actually. I'll just make a random $10,000 donation to something that inspires me. I give to a, almost every uh, GoFundMe that I see that's from somebody I know. So just lots of little things. I was giving to Dell Children's Hospital too. That's another one that I stopped. So I'm, I'm kind of waiting. I'm hoping something will show up for me. That I give to One Life, by the way. I'm probably their largest donor of all time, maybe. You'd have to ask Tim that. So yeah, just wounded warriors, anything that strikes me. Cancer, I give to causes of cancer. I love to give to kids' causes. I mean, who doesn't love to give to children's causes? Yeah. That's the best one. I, I agree with you. We're, we're, we're uh, animals and kids. They seem to be where we, we lean into. Speaking of Tim, your GoPod uh, consists of the elders still, correct? Or is there another pod that you're a part of? Nope. So far that I thought about starting another one, but still just those guys. Got it. All right. Well, how often do you meet and what are you currently discussing? We actually talk all the time on a regular basis. So it's hard to pin it down, but we do definitely a big quarterly review. We talk monthly and we do a big quarterly review of our goals, where we're on track, where we're off track. Um, but we have random everyone on the phone call once a week, probably. And uh, what are we talking about? We talk about our wives. We talk about our lives. We talk about, um, you know, Pat's, yeah, Pat's daughter just got COVID. Tim obviously has his health problems. Mike's looking for land. I mean, we just, we're very integrated in each other's lives. We both, we all know what's going on with each other's lives and we've held each other accountable. It's not as the extreme level of accountability that we used to have when we were up and coming. Pat and I used to rip each other constantly on whether we did what we said we were going to do. And it was great. Like, it's exactly what I needed. He'd say, you said you're going to have 15 appointments this week. How many appointments did you have? And I'd say, well, I only had 12. He goes, well, what's up with that, man? You said 15 and you hit 12. Are you going to walk your talk or just talk the talk without walking the walk? And that was really helpful for me on a, on an ascending basis as I was ascending. But now I feel like I'm kind of more working on tweaks here and there. And most often it will devolve into relationship or how to be a better father and stuff like that. Love it. What is your biggest business and personal goal in the next 12 months? My biggest business goal is to, you know, raise and deploy a uh, hundred million dollars in single family rentals and also land banking. So that would be my biggest personal goal, business goal. My biggest personal goal is to explore traveling the world with the kids in 2022, where we spend a great deal of time where I'm able to work, but overseas. So sort of six months on the road, maybe a month in Thailand, a month in Egypt, a month in morocco whatever like pick some countries and just go on deep dives my daughter wants to do iceland uh, she wants to go see greenland so things like that i, mean, I want to kind of have a family i i realized with my daughter being 11 i got six more summers so i want to really while they still want to hang out with us plant some seeds and some memories makes sense we're, we're getting toward the end i want to i want to touch on a couple of abundance specific questions one is you know, GoBundance is, uh, is a business, yes, but it's a smaller one of your business. But you spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of effort in the tribe and with GoBundance. 
Yep. So it's a two-part question. Tell me why. What What is the connection for you? Why do you feel compelled to spend as much time as you do, you know, perfecting and working on and being a part of abundance? And that may even be speaking for you and the other elders. But also, and this is near and dear to my heart, tell me why you and the other elders had a passion for the emerge, you mentioned the word ascending. It made me think of it. The emerge and ascend program, sort of the undercard for GoBundance. So why so much time in GoBundance? And talk to me about this throwing down the rope concept with emerge and ascend and why that's a passion play for you. I think for me, like so many people helped me on the way up. I mean, I, I got so many nuggets from so many people that were ahead of me that were successful. And then the dynamic of me and Pat and then me, Pat and Tim, and then me, Pat, Tim and Mike. And the enrichment that that has poured into my life of not only accountability and getting better results, but improving my health, having bucket list, unforgettable, memorable. I've had so many adventures and bucket list memories now that I forget them all. I mean, like it's bucket list supposed to be unforgettable, but I forget them. And people are being with me like, hey, remember that time we rode motorcycles through Vietnam? I'm like, oh my gosh, that was such an amazing time. And so that's uh, the, the enrichment I've had from GoBundance makes me want to pour back into it. And keep in mind, we didn't really start this business to be what it is today. We just said, hey, we've done this for a long time. We're a little sick of each other's stories. Let's try to invite a few more people and see if they want to you know, have the level of transparency and authenticity and goal setting and life focus as we've got. And the company just blew up. And it feels like a calling more than a profit center. It's definitely way down on the, for me, for the businesses that I own, not high up on my list of profit. We pour a lot into it. Um, but I, when you when you talk about contribution, you know, meaningfulness, and maybe I'm not writing the checks like I was, but I feel like in GoBundance, we are making a meaningful contribution to hundreds of lives. And it's not us making that contribution. It's the people inside the tribe making that contribution to one another. But we created this framework, and that excites me. And there's nothing I like more than seeing people ascend, to see people rise up, to see people emerge, ascend, and then arrive at levels of success that they maybe dreamed of but didn't know quite how to get to or like seeing a doctor come in with us and be like wow like check this out like i'm a doctor i make all this money and these guys have better lives than me i'm working 100 hours a week i, I got student debt i don't know what a, being a hundred percenter is it's just so enriching you you have the very intelligent guys stepping in going wow this is a new world to me and then you got guys like i consider myself just above average intelligence but not super brainy that have achieved extraordinary levels of financial freedom and creating a, an environment where that's normal and where it's, you know, just the way we are. It's just who we are. So it's that you don't have to apologize for being awesome. You can tell your buddies, I made a million bucks and they're proud of you. They're not jealous of you. Or you can say, I bought a private jet and they're not jealous of you. Or you can say, I lost a million bucks and they'll commiserate with you. They'll understand. It's not like you don't have to be half the person you are. A lot of times in my life, I, I had to in the past before I now almost all my friends are GoBundance or other people from Tiger. I used to have to kind of minimize myself. I couldn't be who I am because it sounded like I was being a brag of brag, braggy person. And honestly, I wasn't, I was just trying to express my life. And, and now I have people around that get that. And that's, that's one of the gifts of GoBundance. I think it's an amazing place to pour that I do of any, almost any other business I own. It, and Color Williams has been a great journey too, but GoBundance is where the intimacy is. And then secondly, Emerge and Ascend. I mean, there's not enough people that are achieving the level of financial success that we want them and need them to achieve. So to reach back down and bring more people in, that's you know driven by you, Jamie, which I'm so grateful for you and the effort you're doing there. But there's nothing better than that. We, we, we owe it to other people to try to reach down and give them a helping hand up. That's what 
everything is built on is people ascending, people emerging. It's all built on abundance. People think, oh, if I get $10, if you lost $10 or, or if you got $10 and I didn't get those $10, but it's actually not true at all. There's more rich people in the richest country in the world than any other place. Like when you have elevating abundance, the, 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 the Google that goes public creates more millionaires than any other you know, business. Like it's when, when you have massive abundance, everybody does better together. And that's what we should be hoping for all our friends and all of our community and and our country. So that's why I love pouring into it. And that's why I'm excited about what we're creating. Amazing. I have one final question that I'll ask in a moment before I do, what's the best place for people to find out more about you website, anything like that? DavidOsborne.com is the best place to go, or I am David Osborne on Instagram. You know, I've written a couple books, Wealth Can't Wait, Miracle Morning Millionaires, Tribe of Millionaires, and bidding to buy. So you can find me in any of those places and you know, you find me at GoBundance. That's where I usually hang out. Beautiful. All right. Well, this last question comes out of the GoBundance app, which you can download on Google Play, Apple iStore, wherever you need to. It's our card game. And this is the king of clubs, a random selection for you, David. If you were unexpectedly given an award with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume you had done to earn that award? Wow. What a great question what would my friends and family assume I had done? Well, I think my friends and family would expect the unexpected for me, but I think if I were given an award, it would probably be for relentless vision and courage. I just think I'm really good at creating a constant vision for my life. And I'm courageous enough to pursue that vision on a daily basis. I think I get an award for courage. Beautiful. It's not easy being an entrepreneur as everybody listening knows, and you got to, pull yourself up and go make the calls. I spent the last two days visiting with guys worth anywhere from nine figures to a billion, you know, to 10 figures, a hundred million to 10 billion. And I mean, a billion. And every time you go meet those guys, it's nerve wracking. It used to be the same way for me every time I took a listing or every time I recruited a brand new agent, it takes courage to step out there and put it on the line and showing up. And sometimes you're cool and smart and sometimes you're just dumb and that's, that's what I do, man. I'm like, I'm, I would get, I would give myself the courage award, <laughs> just like I'd give it to everyone else in GoBundance. And you deserve it. An incredible advice at the end there throughout the entire interview, but especially at the end there from uh, an incredible story. So I appreciate you, David. Thank you for all you do for us in this community, for the Emergent Ascend, all the way up through the champion and the elite divisions of GoBundance. Uh, appreciate you being on here and uh, yeah, look forward to connecting with you soon. Jamie, great to be with you. Thanks, man. In life, to be honest, I failed as much as I've succeeded. But I love my wife. I love my life. And I wish you my kind of success. Don't step to me, bitch. Now you can